0: Esports is one of the fastest-growing industries in the world, and this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the Future Marketing in Esports. Hello, welcome to The Future of Marketing and Esports. I'm your host, Rebecca Langawa. And with me today, I have Jake Hicks. Jake is the co-host of The Law of Esports podcast, and he is a Houston-based esports attorney. Welcome to the show, Jake.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Happy to be here. Happy to be a part of the whole process. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, so, so Jake and I met in Dallas during DreamHack. How was how was your Dallas trip?
1: I thought it was awesome. I thought DreamHack was incredible. That was my first dream hack.
0: That was um, my first dream hack.
1: <laughs> and my only experience and exposure to Dream Hack before that was through the streams and content that content creators would make and through watching some of the IEM tournaments they would have in different cities for CSGO. And so that was, I mean, being there was a totally different experience. And it was so much cooler than just watching the stream. Like Uh, I can't recommend going enough if you haven't been to DreamHack, so I'm glad that we were there. And also, side benefit to going, you can meet some amazing people.
0: Yes, the (laughs) parties. Uh, It was really cool. I also, did you go to the Dallas Fuel Overwatch Invitational while we were there?
1: No, so we just didn't have time. So we went to the Complexity event Yep, that Friday, where Complexity showed off their new digs over at the store. And... Then we wanted to go to the Overwatch event just because along with Pastro, Jeff Moore and Justin Rojas, the COO and the manager of events over there, have been really cool to the Law of Esports podcast with inviting us to the first major and hanging out with us and, and chatting and then also hanging out with them at the South by Southwest event. And so we really wanted to go see them. We just didn't have the opportunity to get out there.
0: Oh, you were at the South by Southwest event. Yes, I missed it yeah. I was in Tampa on a vacation. I totally missed that event, but worked on it, planned it <laughs> to go. It seemed like it was a pretty, pretty cool shindig.
1: It was really cool. Again, I think the events team over there has done a really good job at executing on events and also creating opportunities to learn from the events that they do that you've seen other event hosts innovate on. And it just creates a better experience with the Mormons we have. So yeah. I'm really impressed with those guys. So I always like going to their events, but it was a bummer. We couldn't go to the fuel event because we had some interviews to do at DreamHack on Saturday.
0: And I had never been to the esports stadium in Arlington before. Oh, really? I, I really didn't know what to expect. Yeah. In my mind, I was expecting it to be like just its own building, like its own space. I didn't know it was like very is in a convention center type of a setting. Yeah. But it was cool. And they did a really great job utilizing that space.
1: It's cool. And I think it's a huge benefit now that they own it because it was built by the city of Arlington. And that's why it kind of has, has some convention, spitter, convention center space there. And they still use it really well. But the way they're using it now, I think it allows them to be a lot more creative because they can go in and plan and walk the space months ahead of time and have some smaller events, test things out they were even testing stuff out at the optic major in terms of how they stagger and tier the Mm -hmm. seating levels with like a VIP level and a preferred and a general admission. So, and that's kind of been the norm now for the other call of duty majors for the most part.
0: Yeah. I would have liked to see that when we did Minnesota hosted majors two. Yeah. They did majors one, right? Yes. We were right after them. And we, we did that out of a casino
1: yeah, I really wanted to go to that too. And I just couldn't make it work with my docket. But It
0: was cool. I would say having everything, you know, having the hotel there, being able to stay in the hotel, be in the space, have the restaurants, like have everything all inclusive in one big building was, it was pretty kick-ass. I think the players really liked it. Um, I'm about to say,
1: I heard nothing but really good things from every player that we spoke to that went.
0: Well, yeah, they were all sitting on the Poker tables I like two in the morning <laughs> <kids>. <laughs> yeah,
1: and also the MVP of the event was a Houston kid, Spark, Houston representing.
0: Nice, nice. All right. So I'm so excited to have a podcast host as my podcast guest today.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It's always good. We have we haven't had too many podcast hosts on our podcast yet, but we will in the near future.
0: You guys gotta roll out more content. I'm telling you.
1: I know. Look, we have some stuff in the works. Uh, Nephi is currently in Mexico and Cancun for a wedding. So we have two episodes that are releasing here shortly and then more on the horizon, but we're really excited. So
0: I like it. I don't know what half the time, what you guys are talking about in <laughs> my head, but you like listening to it. It's like, yeah. you know, when I have to do critical things like fold laundry, I'll turn that on. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think I've listened to every episode now, which is weird, but there's not a ton of them.
1: Not. <laughs> so, so for the for your listeners, for the context, my podcast is called the Law of Esports Podcast, and we analyze legal issues in the world of esports. They're not all issues that have to deal with a particular maybe esports team, but they're all issues that esports teams certainly face. And then there's always wrinkles, especially going from traditional sports to esports, or even entertainment law to esports. As you know, going from traditional sports. To esports and the way you approach partnerships brands the way you structure deals it's just a little bit different and there's not too many lawyers that discuss the esports implications on what are usually common legal issues and so i have a co-host named nephew lopez who's a guy who's more of a player's agent i've been on the corporate side of things where i'm at a big firm where we represent teams and leagues and publishers and so we just kind of rip on each other as we examine Certain legal issues. So, thank you so much for listening.
0: I <laughs> so, do. I like it.
1: <laughs> <podcast>. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> it's good though. I mean, I yeah. learned. But let's get into it because there's things coming from traditional sports for me and working directly with pro athletes in the traditional sense. You know, NFL, NBA players, a couple hockey players. Like the differences in the way that players kind of come into the space. From I mean, the conveyor belt. Like I mean, you and I have talked about football right going going right. to the combine like you just know the process it's very different getting recruited into esports and and gaming but then the contracts are extremely different as well you don't have the unions you don't have the collective bargaining agreements what are some of the what are some of the holes that you see right now that that you think are probably going to start getting filled in terms of ways that these athletes, in, in esports, are, are not being represented or given things in a, in a fair way?
1: Uh, so, I think that those issues have certainly come a long way. One of the big sticking points that was around in esports for a long time, and it's still an issue in certain esports, is there was always this conflict. Once you start giving players salaries, how much do you delegate ter- tournament winnings to them? And that was always a problem, right? Because the team's view. For a long time was look we're giving these guys a salary and that's a form of investment if they win a tournament and get a million dollars for the team that's just our return on our investment that's not something that the players were going to get because the players are getting a salary anyways thankfully i think a lot of that has changed i think it had to at some point because players need incentives to continue to win you know the winning spirit only does so much but i promise if you paid every nfl football athlete a hundred grand a year of the league would quit, right? It's just just the way it is. Money is a factor whenever you start doing this for a living. And so that's kind of been solved. I think the other part of player contracts that are, it's going to be really interesting in the future is content obligations outside of just playing the game. Uh Because when you look at monetization and esports, one of the big components is how many eyeballs is your team getting And a lot of that can't just happen through your competition specific days of streaming. Right. But do you
0: feel, okay. So as a marketer, right. From my branding lens, from my marketing lens, the thing that's so different between a traditional content creator and a competitive gamer. And the reason why like Ninja may not be the best Fortnite player, but he's making the most money is that content creators are really entertaining and they're right. like naturally good at that. And there's a lot of esports competitive talent, not all of them, but a lot of them out there are just not great in terms of like being entertaining on camera. Right. So, I mean, you yeah. could, you could force those hours in, but like, do people want to watch necessarily?
1: I, I think another complication with esports is that issue. And some teams have been a little more creative. If you're, own, if you on a team, you have to be dynamic. And how you put your players in the best position to be successful. A good example of that, in my opinion, is Team Liquid. And so Team Liquid has some players who are hyper-analytical and very straightforward and maybe not the most charismatic players in the world. And so Team Liquid creates content where they're just running tutorials on how to do certain things in-game. And they're explaining the, the game code and how to perform specific moves, specific ultimates in things like League of Legends. And that content does really well. But if you were to take a player on a certain player on Team Liquid's League of Legends team and just make them do like a let's play of something, it probably wouldn't be as successful.
0: Right. And so
1: it's hard because it creates a lot of effort on the part of your, your marketing specialists or your vendors or your team owner whenever you're picking up guys on how to market them the best and put them in the best position to succeed so i think that is a hard part and then the other question is how do you build that into the contract right Right. if you if you can satisfy the contract by just doing 10 hours of content a month if your content isn't successful does that really breach the contract probably not but then you're you're not bringing the same value that you otherwise could but yeah i
0: I think it's gonna i think i think that would add like a lot of pressure to players that are really just focused on being the best competitor i mean John Thomas, who's the head of player development at the Timberwolves in the NBA, he's a former NBA player. He always talks to players in a way that says, like, challenges them, like, what's your job? Right. And players will say, like, to win to win games, to be good at basketball. But he says your job's to sell tickets and wants players to think about things holistically, right? So if you think about esports holistically and the role of talent in the space, the only way that this whole thing's going to work as if the brands want to put the dollars, right? The media dollars, the brand dollars, and they're looking for the numbers and the impressions, like you're saying. So how do you then get oh, that well-rounded experience, which will bring those numbers up, right? How do we build not just great players, but great entertainers?
1: yeah, that's, that's really hard. And and you run the risk of in pursuing the entertainment and skillful athlete or esports athlete, esports player, and trying to pursue those goals, you run the risk of signing people that are maybe the most exciting players, but not the best players, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which puts you in a hard position, you know, and even if you're maybe not playing the game, the specific right way, but you have the numbers, that can create a situation that's hard for the team where maybe they're not winning, but they are making more money. The problem is if the entire league does that, then you bring down the quality of the league, which can hurt everybody. Right, And it's a kind of a snowball effect. And I think that's really hard. Yeah, you know, In every conference call that I've had with esports leaders and publishers and teams, as I'm sure you had, the number one thing that we always mention as a big challenge is monetization. Uh How do you monetize each of these events for for traditional sports? It's easy. If you have 90,000 tickets to sell in a stadium, figure out a way to sell out the tickets, (laughs) whether that's your concessions or halftime shows or fan experiences outside of the field, you can find ways to fill those seats. I think there's certain ways you can do that in esports, but when it comes to the teams and the product they put on stream, I do think that it's a challenge that I don't know if anyone has the solution to of you have to sign players who do more than just play the game yeah whether that's being charismatic on camera and vlogs whether that's being hyper analytical and hyper knowledgeable in tutorials is kind of a, a space that everyone's still finding
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it's it's definitely a major challenge and I don't know how you put that into a contract I think it is one of those things that you have to have a team leader or org leader that understands those challenges and consistently works to continue moving forward in both creating value in game and also value for the entire ecosystem. I think that's one of the buzzwords that we're seeing more and more in esports is an entertainment ecosystem, right? You know, we're, we're hopefully, I don't think esports orgs are going to become just extraordinarily wealthy off in-person events. I don't think they're really going to become extraordinarily wealthy off non-competitive content or even competitive content. But I think, in the grand scheme of things, and the aggregate of that ecosystem, is where brands will find a lot of value.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I
1: well, mean, come- whenever you're well, whenever you're looking at pitching an esports player, what are the things that you take into consideration?
0: Well. It depends on who you're talking to. (laughs) One example would be, you know, maybe that was even over a year ago, having conversations with USAA. When I started having conversations with 160 over 90, their agency about USAA and about Minnesota Rockers specifically, because USAA is invested in, in Call of Duty, was Major Mike Maniac, right? Major Maniac. Mike now is with another team, but at the time he was with us and he was kind of like, I mean, he was my unicorn. He's like my little golden goose because his dad is a colonel in the US Army, they're a military family, they're already USAA members. I knew that, right? So, like being able to start having a conversation about a specific player that can be a natural fit into us into a brand like USAA matters. Going back with working with traditional athletes, I would always want to know like their lifestyle, like details about where they liked to eat. What was their, you know, schedule? Like I had pitched a foreign basketball player to international delight creamery through that agency, which is like funny because it's creamer. right? Um, and, and being able to do that, like it, it didn't hit, but look, you have to like, think about what, what really resonates with a specific player, but then the risk in doing those things is the player has to live up to that obligation. I've had calls with agents over the years who have worked out deals with athletes for like Coca-Cola and the athlete shows up literally with a Pepsi product in their hands on the shoot day. Right. And it really pisses the brand off. So I think one of the biggest things that we have the opportunity to do an eSports, which hasn't necessarily been harder harder to turn in traditional sports. And some of the things that I saw working in traditional sports is really educating the talent about the brands that are partnering with with the team, right? <clears throat> and and the community as well. So charitable stuff. I haven't seen a ton of boots on the ground charity work in this industry, like I did in the NBA, right. where players are constantly in the community and serving, and there's a lot of content around what they're doing in the community. There's not a ton of that happening here, but a lot of times when I would be at a charity event or a brand event, and there were appearances by players in, in, in the NBA, at least, they had no context of even why they were there, right? Right. Uh, many times. So their energy was off and they weren't like really engaging versus when they are engaged and they do know why they're there. You're going to see really excited brands, really excited fans, people in the community. It feels very authentic. So I think being able to like educate talent about why it matters that a brand is partnering and them being able to meet that that decision maker that brand partner in person and shake their hand and be engaged with them and maybe do a site visit see where their business is ricky rubio loved working with adidas and he would go to their headquarters and like tour and meet people and you know shake hands and he really really loved his adidas partnership and wanted to learn about the business of what they were doing over there. I think the more we can integrate our talent into that, those types of environments and those spaces, it also can turn into a pathway for their future career. I think that's a player development, having player development roles, I think is something absolutely necessary because it always will anchor back to the dollars, whether it's directly for the team and the property, being able to keep brand partners longer because the partners feel very valued and feel like you know they they're they've got this direct relationship with this extremely amazing talent but also it helps the players because it allows them to grow and develop and learn and possibly get a career in one of those spaces
1: yeah absolutely and i think brands i think in esports specifically relationships with brands and sponsors are so important and i hesitate to to elaborate on this cuz i don't want to make your job more difficult <laughs> but, but I think br- brands and big sponsors add value back into esports in a way that's not there in traditional sports. So if an NBA player signs a deal with USAA, no one looks at that deal and goes, oh, the NBA must be le- a legitimate organization. Like It's like a brand deals are kind of a side thing. They don't really add value to the league. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're a Call of Duty player and all of a sudden you're sponsored by Nike or Adidas or these big companies, other people will say, oh, Call of Duty League is becoming a real thing. And it will add value back into the league in a way that's not there in traditional sports. I hope that doesn't give brands a bargaining chip and lowering the value that players get. Because <laughs> I do think that they're hyper valuable. But that is a relationship that's just not there in traditional sports, where right. there's like a mutual value that you can get out of big brands and big sponsors. And that's I think it's worth players taking the time to learn about the brands, learn about how they can approach it and best represent those brands in the space versus, you know, an NFL player or NBA player, that's kind of just a side thing, right? Yeah. If you're, your contract's $2 million, you're going to get paid 50 grand for this TV spot. That's not as big of a deal as if your contract's 75 grand, but you can make as much or more through brands and sponsorships. I think it's incumbent upon the player to learn about that stuff.
0: Yeah. But I mean, in traditional sports, you've got to you know, a player who maybe is a $40 million deal, $40 million contract, you know, for four years or three years, but then has a $7 million shoe deal. Like yeah. that's pretty, those are pretty viable numbers. Absolutely. Um, but one thing that's really interesting is that if you go back to like when we were kids is the only time you really saw athletes representing brands was like product Like, like literally, like holding up a product in like a commercial and being like their spokesperson. They didn't really emulate the brand, and social media changed all that. And social media, the way that brands started engaging with, you know, specific talent through social media and starting to do, you know, player-specific brand deals. I think a lot of that really had kind of was you know derivative of the social media hype, and you started seeing players that had more followers than the entire team combined. And that was the big, that was the big wake up call. I mean, obviously Michael Jordan and the shoes and the Nike thing is a total exception. And that is obviously pre social media, but social media opened up the floodgate for any caliber talent in, 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 you know, in pro sports right? to be able to capitalize in, in big ways. And as soon as that floodgate opened, because like, you know, Michael Jordan was the exception, but now brand deals that are player specific, that's the rule now, like everybody has their deals and that really had the traditional sports teams waking up like pretty, pretty quickly saying, oh, we probably should n- put a little bit more emphasis on our social numbers because they just really yeah. hadn't. I mean, I remember being there and like, it wasn't a big deal. It was like, oh, well, this person's in their twenties, so they can just do it. It wasn't like there wasn't a lot of strategy. There wasn't a lot of, you know, content specifically being built for that. It was like, just show up and take some pictures and post it. Now, I mean, you're just seeing amazing content come out from, from the sports teams and intentional content and the growing of those numbers and being intentional to keep those numbers because it it does have a massive impact, which is why Twitch is so important in the gaming ecosystem to begin with, right? Is Right because of the digital digital fan base. They're born digital. They're always on. They're always engaging. And I think one of the things that's hardest in my from my position on the brand side and talking to these non-endemic brands coming in is, you know, we don't need to promote your one thing that you're doing for three months in advance because no one's going to really remember. But they're so used to follow, falling into like, I know we want to announce and we want to talk about it and like tell people where they're going to find the thing. But but if a tournament's in two months, promoting the tournament months and months in advance isn't going to necessarily help get people to tune in on Twitch, right? right? Because they're consuming this quickly. Like they're good. You can do that the day, the day of really, honestly.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and gamers can get frustrated with long wait times. Yes, You know, that's happening in the Halo Championship Series right now, where they had their Kansas City major in, what was it, April or May, and then the next major is in Orlando in September. And Twitter consistently has complaints and criticisms that there's just too much time, that the game develops and changes, game skill develops and changes, and people just don't want to wait that long. And that's kind of across the esports ecosystem if it's hard to announce something two months ahead of time and have people still be excited for it.
0: Right.
1: You know, I think even for events, I think most of the sales that most events have are probably in the week or two weeks before
0: Yeah,
1: it's hard to sell out an event three months ahead of time, but yeah. But how do you think in terms of traditional sports athletes Mm -hmm. having a, a better grasp now than as far as getting to know a brand and understanding their value, do you think there's, A value in traditional sports athletes crossing over into esports and also into more esports centric brands. Um,
0: I mean, I think they should. Uh, I've it's funny because I talked to a kid maybe four years ago who was an aspiring NBA player, comes from an NBA family, and it just didn't it it hadn't materialized, and was like asking me for advice and i had said it was like 4 years ago and he was quite young to just start streaming and start making content cuz he's a cool kid really engaging really fun and plays video games he didn't do it and i saw him uh, i don't know maybe 4 or 5 months ago and and he was like i'm kicking myself that i never did the thing that you told me to yeah. do I was like I can't imagine what would have happened right the crossover like you look at people like amon green Ariel powers like the crossover is legit it's it's there but there's risk. There's high risk. You what, have to be. Well, if you take a look at who's that cutie pie who played for Miami heat, who had the big issue, he used a slur.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. What like your like, aspect. I don't remember, but I I know that the situation you're talking about.
0: Yeah. He and and whether he, he he claims he didn't know that that was a slur. It was just a word he heard growing up. And but I have sat on the. Leonard. Myers Leonard. Yeah. Yeah. He got basically booted out of the league because of something he did on Twitch.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. So here's the difference. And if you've ever sat courtside at a basketball game, you'll have maybe overheard. I mean, when I was, when I was working with NBA photos, I sat right on the court on the basketball court, like the trash talk is real and it's pretty bad. There's (laughs) like, there's some articles out there of things that players have said about each other's, girlfriends and wives and all sorts of stuff like they get nasty but it's not being streamed to a million people they like maybe five or six people picked up and heard that right it's not on no 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 microphones picking it up right so you take that type of trash talk energy and you put that onto a live stream and there's a lot of streamers who say a lot of things but what play what what you know, famous people of any kind that decide they're going to get into this world of being always on digitally, always on on a platform like Twitch mm-hmm. you really better understand that you're now underneath a microscope and it's easy to sit at a media desk podium and answer a bunch of questions or do an interview for, you know, like, like this 45 minutes that we're going to talk. But if you're streaming and you're gaming and you're competing raw emotion for six hours straight, four or five, six hours straight, you can't slip up. Like there's, you have to understand the risk and you have to, you have to know yourself and you have to really do an analysis of how you talk to people. And, you know, how are you going to behave regardless of what other people are doing in that stream, regardless of what that other person says or does, can you hold it? Can you hold yourself true to an amount of integrity that you're going to need, so that you don't put your whole career at risk,
1: right? Yeah. yeah, no, I I think that's a huge risk that I didn't really think about <laughs> before this. But I mean, there are some unicorns out there, and I think it's so valuable just to keep your name. It's worth it.
0: I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying, like, know thyself. But it
1: is. Yeah, you do have to have like you. Yeah, you do have to have the type of personality or at least self awareness. To mm-hmm. understand when you're on stream and maybe change hopefully hopefully you don't have habits like that but if you do you have to change them right. um I've seen, but I've seen some guys especially as you get more into your career and maybe you succumb to the monster that is free agency and traditional sports mm-hmm. i think that's so scary for so many guys because that runs the risk of leaving your name out of the conversation not only for a potential spot on the roster but also for brands and can lower your public value So, there's, I'm going to shout out two guys who I think have done a really good job Demontre Moore and Kurt Benkert. So, Demontre Moore is a defensive end in the NFL who's now a free agent. And Kurt Benkert was, I think, a third string quarterback for the Packers, but is also now a free agent. And Kurt is a substitute on Space Station Gaming's Halo team. What? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Montre Moore is growing ever more popular Twitch channel and YouTube channel Mm -hmm. of just playing different games. And it's cool because their name is still in the conversation, at least publicly, and they're still viable to brands and valuable, even though they're not starting on a roster somewhere. And so maybe they don't have the traditional value that most athletes would have. And I think football is a little bit harder than the NBA because the rosters are bigger and Mm-hmm. you have if you guys wear helmets, you don't see their, yeah, face. You see
0: their face. Yeah.
1: yeah, And that's where I think being in front of the camera all the time or being out in the public all the time can be helpful, but you still need a vehicle to do that. Right. Yeah. You just don't want to have someone vlogging their workouts every day. And so I think, yeah, Kurt Banker and DeMontre Moore have done a really good job of that. And I was fortunate to meet them at some events. Uh, DeMontre was at DreamHack.
0: Yeah. I, you, you're reminding me that I need to reach back out to him
1: actually. Yeah.
0: I saw him at Mavs Gaming, yeah, and we talked for like literally two minutes. Well, we had dinner that night, so I was getting pulled out the door to go to dinner, yeah, with our whole group, and didn't really have a great chance to connect with him. But we did exchange contact information. I want to have a conversation with with his team, with his publicist, and see how I can help him.
1: Yeah, I think that's just super innovative because coming from you know, the school I played at in college, I played at Rice University. A lot of the guys that we sent to the NFL, including myself, wind up in free agency at some point in time, usually pretty early in their careers. And a lot of times it's before you get the opportunity to lock in a big brand deal with somebody or a shoe deal or, you know, those big things. Because that usually only goes to stars, realistically. Yeah. And so if there's a way to grow your brand in other ways outside of posting on Instagram, like posting your workouts on Instagram or whatever.
0: Right. Well, I mean, there was a time. So early internet well early social media there was a time where a lot of pushback was well i don't i'm not going to like put content out there unless somebody pays me money to do it because if you think about appearances these paid appearances that traditional athletes have gotten year year over year they get paid to show up right in social media and now in in twitch and streaming twitch youtube gaming i guess i'll throw that out there facebook gaming (laughs) (laughs) You show up to get paid. Right. Yeah. Coin that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Show up to get paid.
0: You have to show up, right? Like no one, a brand isn't going to just give you money to post something on your Instagram about their product if you're not producing any other content because no one wants to follow you. Nobody would follow that. Like if every single post you had was sponsored, like you're, you're not even viable. Nobody cares. Like the reason why people love to follow celebrities on their social media is because they feel like they have an intimate connection with them because they're seeing things that they never got to see before about that person's life. So when done right, a social media strategy for any influencer is a really good mix of foundational elements about like their friends, what they enjoy doing for their hobby, a thing about what makes them famous, whether they're a musician or their sport just what they do in the community, just a real holistic view into their world and who they are, almost like your own little mini docuseries of your life and and commenting and engaging and liking comments like that all like feeds back to the dopamine of your fans because they feel like you're you're engaging back with them. If you like their comment or you comment back to them, like that's really valuable. And that was proven to be really valuable, you know, 10 years ago. Right. So now you get into where Twitch is and it is, it's more of a conversation. It's direct live feedback, interaction, engagement. That is highly valuable to the consumer, to the fans, right. the subscribers, right? Because they really feel seen and valued. And so for somebody who's in a, in a traditional entertainer or athlete to step into this, it is just another content strategy for them. It is another social engagement strategy that they can leverage. But I think there's some things they have to really be cognizant of, like we talked about a minute ago. But yeah, because it, it really levels up that engagement to like a thousand percent. Right.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you recommend, I mean, if this Switching to more eSports stuff, obviously YouTube has evolved over the years, right? You can no longer post a video of an eSports player running around in their backyard and have some of the top views of the month in the space, right? It's come a long way from 2014 or whenever that was a viable option, but how do you get I mean, do you think eSports players are going to start finding value in in in-person appearances so in the same way that traditional sports athletes should probably try and move into more of the Twitch space as opposed to just in-person stuff, do you think esports players should also try and move into in-person stuff as opposed to just appearing on Twitch and YouTube?
0: I mean, it really depends on the, the character, the person, right? Because right. it's it's hard. The media hasn't quite given the mainstream audience enough line of sight into competitors, even the top competitors, it's hard to get coverage. It's hard to get real media coverage. So they could show up to try to do something, but do the people like, do people want to see them there? And how do you get the right people there? I think they're, I think it's totally viable. I mean, I would love to bring some of our players in Minnesota to the Minnesota state fair and do meet and greets and pictures, you know, for the most part, our existing fans are going to be the ones that are going to come there for that. But I think if we can start placing these athletes in a space where we can educate the masses. So something like a big, a big traditional event, like a state fair to me makes sense because it's, it's not like come meet the Minnesota rocker. Cause people would be like, well, who's a Minnesota rocker. But if you can create a narrative and signage and things saying your, your hometown professional, Esports Call of Duty team is here. They happen to be called the Minnesota Rocker, right? <laughs> right. That people will be like, "Oh, I know what esports is because my kids talk about it." Like maybe Johnny will come to state fair with us this year because this this thing that he likes, gaming, has a pro team. Because I talk to people in the streets back home, and a lot of them don't know we have a professional Call of Duty team, and they play right. COD. They consume COD, they play it, they love like, they like the game, but they don't know that Minnesota has a, a home team. So I think over time, yes. I also think from a from a storytelling perspective, getting getting esports talent, content creators, you know, the streamers, the the pro- professional gamers, I think if orgs and teams put an intentionality behind getting them to serve the community that's yeah. going to get the awareness that they did they did that that's going to get into the press right if an, if an esports team goes to children's hospital and games with the kids yeah and talks to them about being a gamer at the children's hospital to these kids who a lot of them are there for extended periods of time and you cover that and you create content around it and that gets on the news and more people are going to learn about it that will get that will get the the more mainstream awareness to where you could, you know, maybe do the you know the the meet and greet at the high-vee grocery store or whatever or target. But I think it's coming. I think watching the way traditional sports has been effective in growing brand awareness, you can definitely take a lot of lessons and apply them just as a lot of people in traditional sports are paying a lot of attention to what we do differently in esports and gaming yeah. so that they can grow and evolve as well
1: do you think at some point for a, a specific esports player's personal brand i know in traditional sports whenever you become a star and you become a highly paid star there's always a push to begin your own personal branded charity foundation
0: oh yeah for sure they should be doing it yeah i mean or
1: cuz like cuz i've seen so optic A few uh, on June 17th, Optic Gaming had a stream for charity for children's health, Mm -hmm. they paired up with children's health and had a stream where you could all your donations during the stream would all go to the benefit of children's health, which is awesome. I think it's a step in the right direction, but I do think there needs to be that next step of going there.
0: Well, the teams and orgs should all have their foundations. I mean, you look at traditional sports and every single traditional sports team has a charitable foundation. It definitely, there's a space for that. There's room for it and it it should happen. And I think especially that, you know, top tier talent should think about building out. Now, not a nonprofit.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> and you can explain the difference. You're the attorney, <laughs> but a foundation.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a variety of differences in tax implications and a lot of things, but essentially a nonprofit still makes money and still doles out. Some high money to people that work for it. it doesn't necessarily have the goal of the nonprofit ideal or whatever they're representing in mind. A foundation is just a way of collecting and managing money, essentially. Yes. But see? yeah, see, for the listeners. <laughs> okay. Well, then, and there was a weird push in the esports space a while back of personal branded like, clothing.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: kind of taken a little bit of a backseat now because I guess so. With the Minnesota Rocker, you know, four years ago we didn't have the Minnesota Rocker.
0: Correct.
1: We didn't have geographically locked franchise esports teams, hardly at all outside of Overwatch. Do you think that's help or hurt the ecosystem?
0: I think I think it helps. I think it's I think it will help people get excited. I'm just noticing it from the watch parties. Oh uh, yeah. Um, the fans that come out to cheer for their Minnesota rocker, it just kind of creates like, like this belongs to us. It's ours kind of a mentality Yeah. and their fans are really, I wish you would have been at
1: majors
0: when we were hosting it in Minnesota, when it was hosted in Minnesota, because the it was like one of the only times where people were cheering louder for Minnesota than like optic. Right. (laughs) That's Um, what I heard. It was bananas. The rocker chants. They do. They do the skull. So the Vikings have a big. They call it the skull chant. Okay. They just start. You know. They slowly do the skull thing, and they clap their hands over their heads, and then it gets like quicker, 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 and then a big horn blows. So they they did that when they opened the the gates for majors. Like all the fans were all waiting to kind of come in the doors, and they like had somebody stand up on a countertop and they all did the school chant together and people were like, all <laughs> excited about it, but you can't just have that. Like, I think if, if version one, who <clears throat> is a parent org for Minnesota rocker, if they just had Minnesota rocker and they didn't have these global teams yeah. like Valorant and rocket league, which have players from all over and right. they're competing all over the world. I mean, their rocket league team is going to be in London in two weeks competing, mm-hmm that has more of like global fans and we can see from who follows our teams that the large concentration of people who are fans of Minnesota rock are from Minnesota, but it's all over the map for some of the other teams. And I think that's, that's a kind of a healthy little balance. I like the franchised model. I think it's, I think it's a cool model, but I also think because Esports is such a global type of an entity. You, yeah. you also need to have diversification of types of teams, types of team structure.
1: I think it's helpful for, for the watch party thing to have a place, to have like an incentive, like, okay, if Call of Duty, the next major's coming up, where are we going to host a watch party? And then you say, okay, well, Atlanta fish, should host one in Atlanta. And it kind of yeah. creates a, yeah, it creates an yeah. easy answer for that but I do think it creates some challenges and expanding in your area, wherever you're at. And I think some teams have done a better job than others. I think Rocker has done really well for being a new brand in, in Call of Duty. I think that Toronto has done a really good job of that with the Ultra where they have, their watch parties are usually, they appear to be pretty successful. Obviously, Optic is Optic, and phases phase to a, probably the most popular brands ever yeah. in esports. Yeah. But I do think the franchise model does help to create, hopefully, a more dedicated fan base in those locations. But still, and it gave rise to new brands, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But I still think the way to take the most advantage of it is what we were alluding to earlier, which is mixing, trying to introduce the traditional sports fan base. To their local esports teams,
0: uh-huh.
1: whether that be at basketball games, football games, whatever. I know it's tough because a lot of times they have different ownership, yeah. right? So, what does, if you're the Dallas Cowboys and your ownership group is now invested in a complexity, which doesn't have a professional Call of Duty team, but is still an endemic esports brand, do you, promote optic texas at a cowboys event which is a rival brand you know what i mean like yeah, you can't yeah, really
0: yeah
1: it creates some problem obviously it's it's an easier sell for groups that have mixed ownership yeah. between or that share ownership not mixed but that share ownership but if you don't have that i think that's a lot more difficult conversation and i think at that point money has to change hands somewhere either yeah. the sports team compensates the traditional sports team or their ownership group finds innovative ways to do that stuff but i think franchise like geolocking creates cool opportunities to mix with traditional sports, but then you have the owners and the lawyers that make it more complicated.
0: Last thing that I just wanted to ask you is where can people find you? How do they listen to your podcast? What, what should they look forward to in that regard?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Jake Hicks law. And then our podcast is just the law of Esports. We're also The Law of Esports on Instagram. We have a TikTok without many posts, but we're also The Law of Esports on YouTube. And YouTube is one of the ways you can listen to and watch our podcasts. If you want to see our faces or the guests we have on, and then we're also on most podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple podcasts, pocket casts, pretty much anywhere you can find your podcasts. We're there, but if you want to see us on video, check out our YouTube. And while you're there, you might as well like, and subscribe. <laughs> no, well, yeah. naturally. Uh, naturally. but Twitter's a lot of esports. And then Jake long. We have some really exciting developments coming up. We've been really fortunate in dream hack and other events that we've been to, to have people that really want to come on the show and discuss esports law stuff. And sometimes it's their successes. Sometimes it's their frustrations, but it's been really fun so far. And we only have more good things on the horizon.
0: Well, I love your podcast. I think it's informative.
1: Our podcast loves you. Thanks. I'll come on it. Yes, please.
0: Put me in hot seat.
1: Absolutely. Right, well,
0: thanks so much, Jake, for coming on my podcast and we'll catch up with you later.
1: Sounds good. Thank you.